0: Your Bibles this morning. And turn with me to Second uh, Chronicles, chapter seven. I got that out there first thing because I know some of you may take you a little while to Second Chronicles, chapter seven. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm not so sure that we are as familiar with the context in which these words were spoken. What we're going to be looking at this morning is God's reply, God's answer to Solomon's prayer, uh, a prayer of dedication for the temple. Solomon had completed uh, building the temple, the house of God. Uh, Of course, his father David had uh, greatly wanted to accomplish that uh, rebuilding of the temple himself, but it was not left to to David, but to his son Solomon, and so upon completion of the temple, uh, Solomon... Praise, uh, a fairly lengthy prayer of, of dedication. And, uh, and then here in chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, God answers Solomon. Uh, and uh, so that's the context in which these words were actually spoken. And as much as, it, or I guess as difficult as it is for us sometimes to imagine... Um, The world in which we live has really not changed very much. Uh, Men and women have struggled uh, to live before God, to live lives that honor the Lord, uh, to live lives of service and worship and prayer. Uh, It has has always been a a difficult thing to do. And if we had time to go back and read through uh, Solomon's prayer of dedication, we would see he knew He knew that God's people, in spite of the blessings that they were enjoying, in spite of the completion of this magnificent place of worship, in spite of the fact that God's presence now filled this temple and he promised to be with them, Solomon knew that there were going to be difficult days ahead. And of course that continues to prove true in every Generation. And I, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes, well, let me, let me just ask you this question. Do you ever look at the deteriorating condition of our world and just feel absolutely incapable of doing anything about it? I, I mean, you know, I, I had really hoped that as we began 2022, uh, that as far as our church and its schedule, uh, you know, that we would kind of be able to just uh, begin anew uh, with uh, little to no consideration. Uh, of the pandemic that has plagued us for the last couple of years. But uh, the reality is the number of new cases uh, are, are skyrocketing. We're, 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 we're setting new records of, of cases. I know that the Omicron uh, variant doesn't seem to uh, produce the, 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 the same kind of severe symptoms that earlier uh, <clears throat> infections did. But nonetheless, uh, we're, we're just having this surge of sickness once again uh, in our community and, and really around the world. and, and, and again, it, it's just a, it's this feeling of helplessness sometimes. We want things to be different. Uh, we want to be able to go about our business without worrying about sticking a mask in our pocket every time we, we go out of the house. Uh, but in spite of all our, our, our wisdom in spite of all of our medical technology, we just haven't seemed to, to get there yet and and uh, so the question that I would pose to you this morning as we consider uh, this uh, answer to Solomon's prayer is this. What do you suppose would happen if we, and, and when I say we, I'm talking about we, you and I right here, those of you who are, who are watching at home on our, our live stream, what if we committed ourselves to seeking God this year, to seeking help from the One for whom nothing is too difficult. You know, the reality is we have to we have to understand, and we are confronted uh, regularly with the again, the impossibility uh, of accomplishing the things that we would like to accomplish uh, because we are human. We are finite. We we eventually come to an end of our intellectual ability, of our physical ability. Uh, we, we, we reach an end. We, we've done all that we know to do, and, uh, and nothing has, has succeeded. Uh, and, and I guess what I would say to you today is, is, is the wonderful news of this passage of Scripture and so many others is that God never reaches His end. Nothing, the Scripture says, is too difficult for God. So what if we dedicated ourselves to pray to the one who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or even imagine? Simple questions. Uh, What if we simply decided to pray? And church, that's going to be the focus of our preaching for the next several weeks. Uh, And our hope is that you will come away from this time, not just with a deeper knowledge or understanding of what the Bible has to say about prayer, um, but our hope, my hope, is that for myself and for you, that we will come away from these next several weeks uh, praying more and perhaps better than we ever have before. Uh, I, I, I want to challenge you through this message and the ones that will follow. Uh, I want to challenge you to grow in your understanding of who God is. I I believe it will make you a better prayer warrior. I want to challenge you to grow in your understanding of what the Bible has to say about prayer. But most of all, I hope that what will happen over the course of the next several weeks is that you will become, that I will become truly, a person whose life is devoted to prayer. Second Chronicles, chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Just going to read two verses. That will be more than we can handle this morning, I'm quite certain. Two verses. Second Chronicles 7, 13. And this is God's response. These These are God's words to Solomon. He says in answer to Solomon's prayer, he says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That was God's answer to Solomon's prayer. Let me tell you, those words are as true for God's people today as they were then. Let me pray with you. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful today for the Word of God, these ancient words that we have sung about already. Uh, And Lord, we know that you have given us your Word, not so that we can simply store it up uh, in our heads or even in our hearts, Lord But your desire for us is to hear and understand your instruction so that we might better live the lives that you have called us to. So that we might be uh, the people that you have created us to be in your Son, Christ Jesus. Lord, uh, you are still a God who hears and who answers prayer. You are still a God who moves in behalf of of the cries of your children. Lord you make that abundantly clear not only here in this passage but but throughout the Word of God. And so I pray today Father as we seek uh, renewal, restoration. Lord that, that's what we want for ourselves and for our church. Lord we we want to be used of God uh, greatly, mightily. We, we want to have uh, well we, we want to be people of influence. We we want to be a people who has an impact on the world uh, in which we live. Father, we want to be known as, as your people. Father, we want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to be used of you. We want to be fruitful, productive. We want to be blessed, and we want to be a blessing. And so we pray today. Lord, that you would hear our our prayer, and that you would move in our behalf, and that you would do things in and through us that we could never do ourselves. We'll give you praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, you would think that simply because of the God that uh, God reveals himself to be in the pages of Scripture, that, that as the people of God, we wouldn't need a lot of uh, provocation uh, to pray. But, but as we know, that's, that's really not the case, is it? And so again, what I would do is I would just direct you this morning to consider the world in which we live and the issues that, that we face as a people. Uh, that ought to be ample provocation to pray. When we look at the violence, the division, uh, the injustice, the disease uh, that exists in our world today, it ought to provoke us to pray. Uh, it ought to, ought to send us running to our prayer closets, to our altars. Uh, we ought to be a people who, who pray, and, and in times such as these, perhaps Uh, in ways that we wouldn't typically pray. God lays out just a few things that were going on here or that perhaps would go on. Um, Notice what he says. And again, all of these specific issues that God deals with in verse 13, these these provocations to prayer, are, are direct answers to what Solomon has asked God Uh, And and so he he basically answers Solomon's prayer. He says, look, when I I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, you need to pray. And and again, this idea of shutting up the heavens. Uh, The geographic location of Israel, the, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the place where God's people were to live and raise their families where God would dwell with them and lead them and direct them was a a difficult place to live. We would have thought or would like to think perhaps that that God would have chosen a, a location for His people that would be somewhat like the Garden of Eden, where things like farming and agriculture, raising livestock would just come easy, but that wasn't the case. Israel was not a place like that. Uh, the upper portion of Israel is often referred to as the, the fertile crescent. So there were areas in Israel where farming was, was a little bit easier and raising livestock. But, but for the most part, Israel was a, was a dry, barren place. And, and the people of Israel were absolutely dependent upon the rains to come in their seasons so that they could produce crops and raise livestock in order to provide For their families. And let me tell you, when the rains didn't come, well, there was a time of desperation because they were absolutely essential. Without the rains, there would be no crop. Without the crop, there would be no food. Without food, there would be no life. And so God says, when times get desperate, have you ever been desperate for God? Desperate for God to move, desperate for God to do something in your life? Uh, again, the idea here is that, that we have reached the limits of our human ability. We've done everything that we can do, but things just aren't working out. I remember when I was just a little boy, uh, my mom received a letter from uh, her mother. and uh, my mother is the daughter of a uh, cotton farmer. Uh, she grew up on the farm and uh, That's how my grandfather made a living for his family. Uh, And there would be years when the rains wouldn't come. And this particular year was a a desperate year. And I can remember my mother gathering us together as kids and reading that letter to us. And in that letter, my grandmother asked us to pray that God would send the rain. And I remember as a six-year-old boy, I prayed. I I didn't want my grandpa to not have a cotton And I prayed, and you know what? It wasn't too long after that that we got another letter from my grandmother, and God sent the rain. And the cotton crop was saved, and the year was saved. But let me tell you, when the rains don't come, uh, and the cotton's not growing, or the grain is not growing, or there's no grass for the sheep and the cattle to eat, those are desperate times. And God says in desperate times, what we need to do is pray. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, just just depend on your own wisdom and ability here. I mean, that's what we like to do, isn't it? We like to depend upon ourselves. We like to try something new or different. Uh, God says pray when times are desperate. Uh, In our modern day, what many people do is they, they look to the government. Oh, the government will handle this. They'll just send out another stimulus check. Everything will be fine. God says, don't look to the government. Pray. Pray when times are desperate, when I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, when the crops are failing in the fields, when there's no grass, no hay for the livestock to eat, when things in life are beyond our ability, your ability as human beings pray you know it's amazing to me in spite of all our technological advancement we still can't control the weather can we i mean we can't make it rain only god can send the rain right only god can open heaven and send the rain and so when times are desperate what we need to do people of god is pray call on the one who can control the weather. Amen. If my people will pray. So when God shuts up the heavens, we need to pray. And then he says, or when I command the locust to devour the land. You know, in my mind, as I, I consider what, what this is talking about, it, it would be even more devastating than, than the rain's not coming. I, I mean, this would be a year of cultivating the land, plowing, planting, watering. The rains come, and then, just about the time that everything is ready to harvest, locusts devour the crops in the field. Utter disaster. That's what, that's what this is talking about. You know, if the field and the crops are destroyed, what comes next is Economic hardship. Again, I'm not a farmer. I don't know a lot about farming, but I know this. I know that a large portion of a farmer's income is set aside so that there is seed to plant the following year. And that money is spent on that seed, and then that seed is cast out upon the ground. And let me tell you, if that seed doesn't produce a crop, it's going to be a tough year for the farmer, and that's what's what's being talked about here. Financial disaster, you know, one of the things that we've heard an awful lot about in these last couple of years, and not that it's anything new, but but many people are experiencing financial hardship in these days. Businesses that were thriving two years ago are, are no longer to be found today. Completely gone. Livelihoods that provided for families, communities, no longer in existence, financial disaster, financial ruin for some. God says to Solomon, look, when disaster comes, when the locusts devour the field, pray, come to me. There may not be anything that you can do, but the world is mine and everything in it. Come to me. Church, if there's one place that we need to be going in these economic hard times, it's, it's to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Or then he says, if I send pestilence among my people. Pestilence is a word that sometimes is a translated plague. It, it speaks of sickness, disease. We've experienced a little pestilence over the last two years, haven't we? For two years, we've experienced a worldwide pandemic. And as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, as much as I had hoped that we wouldn't have to even be thinking or talking about it today, here we are. The Omicron variant has sent the number of new cases to record highs, more than a million a day in the U.S., 7,000 new cases a day here in Dallas County. It's incredible. What happens? What should we do when there's pestilence sent among us? God says pray. Pray, don't panic. Pray. If these two years have done anything, they should have provoked us to pray. You know, there's an old joke, you know, kind of goes something like this, this pastor standing before these people and, and he says and i in the, the, the title of our sermon series let us pray let us pray and one little lady looked at the little lady sitting next to her he says she says my goodness has it come to that <laughs> church it's come to that let us pray when we're desperate when disaster is 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 wreaking havoc in our lives when disease is out of control, pray. I don't know about you, but I think it would be wise for all of us to call upon the one who alone has the power to shut up the heavens. Because he also has the power to open the heavens, doesn't he? I believe we should cry out for help to the one who can command the locust. Because he can send them away as well. It's time we get on our knees and pray to the one who can send pestilence among us or away from us. I hope you notice that, that every situation here, it's God who's in control, right? He's the one who, he says, when I shut up the heavens, when I command the locusts to devour the land, when I send pestilence among my people, you know, we don't like to think of God doing any of those things. We like to think of those things as being things that just happen spontaneously, randomly. Let me tell you, there's nothing like that. God's in control of all of this. God's in control of our world today. God's in control of our lives. So no matter whether you are flourishing or failing, let me tell you, God's in control. And what he, what he says we should do is simply pray. Pray to the one who can do something about our situation. So when I shut up the heavens and there's no rain, or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. What 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 God is talking about here is the actual practicing Of prayer. I kind of hate to admit this, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. I get asked on a regular basis, pastor pray for me, or pray for my family, and you know what I always say in response to that request? Oh, I will. I'll pray. You ever get asked that question and respond in that same way? And then we don't pray. Other things seem more important at the time. Church, there is nothing more important that we can do than pray. Nothing more powerful that we can do than pray. God says, when all of these troubles come, when I send these troubles into your life, pray. And notice, notice who he's speaking to here. I, I love this. He says, if my people who are called by my name, do you know that in this world in which we live, we bear this wonderful distinction from most of the world? And you know what that distinction is? We're God's people. Not everybody can make that claim. Israel could make that claim in the Old Testament, Solomon's day. They were the people of God. They were those who were called by God's name. Prayer is the wonderful privilege of God's people. We have access to God, right? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, refers to Himself as our intercession. He took His seat at the right hand of the Father in order to intercede for us. Now, first and foremost, we can know that that Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father praying for us. But we can also know with absolute certainty that because Jesus is seated there at the right hand of the Father, that you and I who are in Christ now have constant, continual access to the throne of grace. We have access to God through Jesus Christ. It's a a wonderful distinction. I I think sometimes that we don't consider it a distinction. And and I, I think it's, well... We need to know, church, that prayer is a promise that God has made to His people, my people, called by my name. And and when we fail to engage in prayer, when we fail to practice, to put prayer into practice in our lives, we are forfeiting this wonderful, wonderful privilege. In Isaiah 43, God God speaks to His people, and, and He says this. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. In other words, when trouble comes, I'll be with you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. When things really get bad, you can count on me, church. I'm going to be there. We have this distinction among the people of the world. We are God's people. We are people called by His name. We are the people... Of God, And again, I've shared over the years, and I won't go to, to any length this morning, but we are God's first and foremost because He created us for Himself, and then He redeemed us just as the words came through Isaiah the prophet. I've redeemed you. You're mine. We've been bought with a price is the way the Apostle Paul says it. We belong to God, and I'm so thankful today that we bear this distinction. As a matter of fact, those words called by my name, if, if uh, again, I said I wasn't much of a farmer, I'm not much of a cowboy either, but you know what that, that, that's, that refers to branding cattle. To be called by my name means to be marked or branded, to demonstrate ownership and responsibility. God owns us, we're His. And as such, we have such great responsibility before him and before the rest of the world. And so we're to pray. We're his people, called by his name. And he says, so first of all, he says we need to humble ourselves. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, God, this is, we're, we're getting a description of what prayer involves and what, what prayer entails and and." and Prayer is an acknowledgment of our dependence upon God. You know, that's one of the things that us cowboys, us Westerners, uh, we don't like to think about sometimes. We like to consider ourselves ruggedly independent. We don't need anybody. Let me tell you, that's, that's so foolish. We need more help than we can imagine, and we certainly need the help of Almighty God. We are absolutely dependent on Him. Remember, He's the one who controls the weather. He's the one who can send the locusts to devour the crops or, or send them away. He's the one that, that, that sends pestilence among his people or, or eliminates it. It's, it's God and only God who can do that. We are absolutely dependent upon him. And prayer is an acknowledgment of our dependence. Now, in our text, the trouble that God's people faced potentially was a trouble that resulted from their own sin, all right. That was that was the prayer that Solomon prayed. He he knew people. He knew himself. You know, he was the wisest of all men that ever lived, and he was as wicked as any man that ever lived. Hundreds of pagan wives uh, that caused great destruction to the kingdom of God, uh, to the kingdom of Israel. Uh, Solomon knew what it was to be a man, and, and, and he knew that there would come a time when even God's own people would, would sin. They would, they would fail, uh, and they would bring trouble upon themselves. You know, I guess the... Sin in the lives of an individual is not the only reason that trouble comes. You realize that, right? Sometimes the trouble that you experience has no direct link to anything that you may have done or not done. But here in this text... This trouble, this, this danger, this, this destruction was, was caused by the, the sin of the people. And let me tell you, when, when we face hard times, it ought to prompt us to at least consider our lives, to wonder how much of the trouble that we're experiencing may be of our own making. You know, the word sin in the, New, well, both New Testament and Old Testament, there's an, an idea of, of, uh, behind that word sin is, is to simply miss the mark. In other words, it, it doesn't require just blatant disregard for God or God's word. Uh, we, we can sin, we can miss the mark even if we're giving it our best shot. And don't we often do that? So God says, look, humble yourself. Acknowledge your weakness, your failure, your tendency to wander. Acknowledge that. And and, and beyond acknowledging it, the word humble really speaks of expressing grief over our sin. You know, the the Bible says that there's a godly sorrow, right, that leads to repentance. That's the idea here. Grieving or sorrowing over our sin means to take responsibility for our actions or our lack of action. You know, when I think about the ministry of this church, the first thing I have to do if I'm not satisfied is to look here. What is it that I've done or what is it that I have not done? That's what all of us need to do. That's the idea here behind humbling yourself. Taking responsibility. You know, we live in a world that does not want to take responsibility for anything. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's responsibility. Church, that is not what God has called us. That's not the attitude God has called us to. We are to always allow Him to seek our hearts. So we pray as God's people in absolute acknowledgement of our dependence upon Him and our humility before him. And again, we humble ourselves and and pray. And let me tell you, that's a that's a Hebrew word. You know what it means? It means to pray. Nothing fancy here. Nothing complicated. Easy to understand. When trouble comes, humble yourself and pray. That's what God is saying. And again, Easy to understand, but obviously not always so easy to accomplish, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but over the years I have heard multiple sermons on prayer. I've read passages on prayer. I've preached messages myself on prayer. And I never come away from any of those times with this sense of satisfaction that my prayer life is everything that it should be. I always come away challenged that I should do more, that I should have a deeper intimacy with God, that I should spend more time in prayer, that I should be more sensitive to the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Never this sense of satisfaction. Oh, yeah, well, I, I pray I pray plenty. What the Lord is saying here when He, when he calls us to prayer is He's saying that we need to take time to pray. We need to set time aside to pray. Pray, church, that's what he says. It's a discipline that each of us needs to cultivate in our lives. And and, and as we pray, he says, seek my face. The word seek speaks of a diligent pursuit. In other words, I want to know who God is. It, It is the desire of my heart to understand more fully, more deeply, more intimately who God is, to to have a, a greater knowledge of what it is that God is doing in my life and what He expects from me. You know, God has every right to have expectations of us, right? I mean, we're His. We belong to Him. We've been called by His name. He expects us to pray. And we need to do that with the utmost Diligence. Our prayer should be for God's presence and God's power to be manifested in our lives. You know, if there's one thing I want for this new year, I I want the presence and power of God to be manifested at Calvary Hill Baptist Church and through the people of Calvary Hill Baptist Church. I want people to see you and to know that you're a person who loves the Lord. I want them to see hope in you and joy. I want them to see that in me. A love for the Word of God. Deep desire to serve one another faithfully, to love one another. Diligence in prayer. And then finally he says, and and turn from their wicked ways. So all of this involved in the the prayer of God's people. This, again, repentance, this determination to live differently. I had a pastor uh, ask me one time, kind of shared the history of our church and how we've, we grew in membership and how of late we've, we've seen our numbers decline. And, and uh, he said, well, what, what are you doing about that? And, and I, I said, well, you know what? I've just determined I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, isn't that the definition of insanity? <laughs> just doing the same old thing and expecting a different outcome? <sighs> church, there are times When the answer to our troubles is to turn from our wicked ways. The prayer found in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, is this. The psalmist cries out to God. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous or wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. That's a prayer we ought to pray regularly. Search me, O God. Is it me? Is there something that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing? Is there something that I've neglected that I should apply myself to? Is it me? And then when God reveals what it is, and I believe he'll do that, we need to turn from it as quickly as we can. So church, God calls us to pray, to spend time prayer, And then he makes us this wonderful promise if we'll do it. He says, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Again, wonderful words of promise from God. When we pray, God promises that he'll respond, right? You do not have to worry about God hearing your prayer, okay? When you pray sincerely to God, it may be a prayer of repentance. It may be a cry for help. It may be a plea for wisdom, direction. Let me tell you, you're God's people. You're called by His name. You're His child. He hears and He responds. I, I have read this verse of Scripture are these verses of Scripture so many times over the years. I love them. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon Him as long as I live. We need to learn the lesson that the psalmist had learned. God hears. He hears, as as He says here, from heaven, His dwelling place. That place of power and authority Uh, And he responds. And the idea behind that word hear, it means to hear with understanding. You know, I I think sometimes we think that God doesn't understand us. Or we're fearful to pray because we don't want to be misunderstood or or misheard. Now, people will misunderstand you, right? You might come to me and try to explain your situation to me, and the the possibility exists that I won't won't hear you in, in the sense that I won't completely understand what you're going through. I won't be able to to completely sympathize with you because it may be something that's just beyond my uh, ability to understand. But that's never true with God. God hears us when we pray. He hears with understanding. He knows knows what, matter of fact, Scripture says, God knows what we need before we open our mouths to speak. He hears with understanding. And first, pardon me, in in 2 Chronicles 6.30, just a a page back in your Bible, this is actually a part of of Solomon's prayer. And he says in verse 30, again, after going through that whole scenario of the heavens being shut up and people uh, acknowledging your name and turning from their sin, he says, then, he said, hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, Uh, When you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon the land. And he says in verse 30, hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know. God knows your heart. He knows your heart perhaps better than you do. Well, no doubt better than you do. God understands what it is that you need when you cry out to him in prayer. You may not understand the problem. You may not understand your situation even well enough to articulate a proper prayer. Let me tell you, don't let that keep you from praying, because God knows. He knows your heart. Render to them according to all their ways. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind. God knows our hearts. We can pray with absolute confidence that God hears, He understands, and He responds as only He can. He he inclines his ear to us, as Psalm one sixteen. He turns in response to that cry. He stoops to pick us up into his arms and to meet our need. That's the promise of Almighty God. That's why we should pray. We should call upon him as long as we live. And then it doesn't stop there. Not only does I mean that that would be glorious enough if that were all there was, but God says I'm I'm going to hear their, their prayer uh, from heaven and and I will forgive their sin. So again. The reason that these troubles have come upon the people of Israel is because of their own sin. Again, though that's not always the case, it was in this particular context and it is sometimes in our life. And if sin is our problem, we can know that God hears and forgives our sin. The word forgive there means to pardon or to release you from your sin debt. Sin debilitates you. It renders you inactive. That's why we sing so often of chains falling and bonds being broken, all right? Fetters being loosed. Those are all pictures of what sin does to us. It makes us unproductive. It stymies us or hinders us from being all that God called us to be and all that we desire to be. But when we pray... God forgives, he releases us from that sin debt. We're now set free to live as we ought to live and as we want to live. Again, Solomon prays that prayer in, in, in the sixth chapter there. He says, forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways for you and you only know the hearts of the children of mankind. When, when God forgives you, he removes the bonds that have hindered us and, and the barriers that keep us from success, so from success. And again, let me say this. We know that as Christians, all of our sins have been forgiven, right? Past sins, present sins, future sins, they're all covered by the blood of Jesus. You are forgiven. But we all know also that there are times that in our practical living, we wander from the truth, right? We stray off into areas that we have no business being. We neglect things that we ought to be faithful in. And let me tell you, just know this. God knows, and he'll reveal those areas to you. He'll help you to correct them. That's the idea here of forgiveness. He he corrects the wrong. He he makes things right. He sets us free. Uh, He tears down the, the barriers that have kept us from being all that God desires us to be. He will forgive your sin And then finally, heal their land. The words speak of restoration. That's what the word heal really means. It means to restore, to to restore to its original quality. Uh, Again, Solomon's praying for forgiveness. He he says that they may fear you. That's what Solomon wants to result from God moving in the lives of his people, that they may fear you, respect you, reverence you, honor you, and and that they may walk in your ways all the days of their life in the land that you gave to their fathers. There are times when our lives are not what they should be. God wants to restore to you the life that he desires you to live. There are times when we're not as productive or fruitful as we ought to be, as God would want us to be. Again, we need revival, right? We need renewal. We need restoration. It all comes as we faithfully pray and trust God to heal our land. So that's what what Solomon prays for and what God promises here is to bring about a restoration of fruitfulness or productivity. When the ground fails, when the rains don't come, when the locusts destroy, when everything is wiped away, I'll restore the years that the locusts have eaten is what God says. I'll overcome your troubles, your difficulties. And and here, church, you know, I I want, I want, I want to be a productive Christian in 2022. Fruitful. I want my life to have an impact on this world. And and I, I hope that Your very presence here, your tuning in this morning, is because that's what you want, too. I I want Calvary Hill to be fruitful in 2022. I want this to be a place where the Word of God goes forth faithfully, consistently, I want people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to respond in faith and repentance and to be saved. I I want to see our church filled to overflowing with people who love God and one another. I I, want to see that. I want to see a productive, fruitful year. But I know that that's only possible when when we trust the Lord and cast ourselves upon His grace in complete dependence. So I'm not going to give a traditional invitation this morning. What I'm going to ask you to do as we conclude our service today is I'm going to ask you to pray. I want you to pray specifically for yourself and for Calvary Hill that God will make you fruitful, will make our church fruitful in this new year. Now again, you may not even have a a, a complete definition for what that means. You, You may not even be quite certain what that means. But again, God knows. So pray that God would make us fruitful this year, that God would make us... Productive, And so I'm just going to ask you right now to bow your heads and pray specifically that God will make you a fruitful Christian this year and that he will make our church a fruitful and productive church in this new year.